0: Yep, so today uh, we do gather to recognise and thank God uh, for one of the key foundations of the communities, of our community we live in. Uh, These people that we are going to recognise today uh, carry out a tireless job of uh, sacrifice and service, which for most of the time goes completely unnoticed. These people work quietly behind the scenes, uh, doing very mundane and seemingly boring chores or work. Uh, These people get up each day and uh, pick up the pieces of what's been left behind from the day before and try and pull it back into order again and make it all happen. Today, uh, we're going to thank God for mothers, a uh, God-given role that's been given to us by God, our Creator. And uh, one thing about a mother is once you become a mother, you stay a mother for the duration of your life here upon this earth. You never actually give that task up. It goes through many changes and developments, but uh, you always stay a mother uh, for till you breathe your last. So if you've got your Bibles, so we're going to look at uh, a mother called Mary, the mother of uh, Jesus, the earthly mother of Jesus. So we're going to go to Luke and read uh, from verse 26 through to uh, 56. as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Lord, thank you that we can just uh, come together today. And I just ask and pray now that, Holy Spirit, you would uh, help us as we think about mothers, as we think about this uh, God-given role that's been given uh, to some ladies to bear children and to become their mother. Uh, Lord, I pray today, help us as we reflect on Mary and see your grace working through her life, and to see the gospel transform her through her mothering, and just to see reflections out of that, we pray. Uh, Lord, we ask today that your grace would change us to be mothers who do bring uh, honour to Christ, and we do this humbly and faithfully, as we will see Mary do that as well. We ask that in Jesus' name, Amen. Uh, The role of a mother is a precious and highly important uh, God-given role. A mother has a very unique position of influence, over her children for the glory of God. It's a role created by God so that mothers can reflect His worth, God's worth, into the lives of their children. Uh, It's something where mums have lots of time, particularly in those early years, where they're always spending time with their kids. And um, it's a great opportunity to input into their lives and to see uh, Christ be made known to them. The world we live in, though, today puts massive amounts of pressure on mums. As much as they want to support mums and have have a high regard for them, the world is also very subtly putting pressure on mums as well. And with this pressure uh, by the world, it's like it's squeezing out the most important task of a mother to glorify God with their children. Now, There's a a reality TV show called Yummy Mummies. I've never seen it. Um, I've seen the blurb about it, read the blurb on that. Uh, And this show called Yummy Mummies is all about these glamorous mums. It's all about these glamorous mums who look a million dollars and live the so-called good life as a mother. Uh, These mums aren't really slowed down at all by motherhood, these supposedly yummy mummies. They're off to the horse races to whoop it up in the spring carnival parties that are all happening there. They have the most amazing theme parties for their kids. that would rival a Disneyland show uh, and their children are always dressed in the most gorgeous ballet outfits that you could possibly see on this show. These yummy mummies, as the world would tell us, uh, seem to be able to fit everything into their lives. They can do babies, they can do kids, they can have an immaculate home, they can get to gym three times a week or they can do coffee with the girls and at the same time as all of that they can do a kitchen renovation as well. They just seem to just be able to do everything everything. Now, sure, as we think about that, that show probably seems pretty fake and pretty unreal. Who can really attain to that sort of a lifestyle and that sort of glamour with all those things happening? And what the show doesn't show us is what's happening off camera in all those other times. You only see the edited versions we see there. That type of, I guess, yummy mothering, as the show would say, is exhausting, is unsustainable, and is destined for disaster on many, many fronts. Even though, I think, as we see it as not real or sustainable, I do believe a number of mothers would quietly aspire to some levels of what these particular mothers are getting up to. There's something that might seem cool or successful about these mothers, how they can actually do these sort of things and look so good as they do it. Somehow, if I could just throw birthday parties for my kids just like they throw birthday parties, or if I could look just as good as those mothers, despite all the rigors of their life, that somehow my life might be just a little bit more fulfilling if I could be a bit like them. I think there's something that sits in the back of mums sometimes to be perhaps quietly aspiring to some of those things. That's not the life God's called us to as mothers. A real mother embraces who God is, trusts in him, and then humbly serves him in great joy and great delight. And that's what we can look at today as we think about Mary, the earthly mother of uh, Jesus Christ. Mary trusted in God and humbly served him in gladness and ultimately worshipped Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as her Saviour. And she did all that in her God-given role as a mother. So let's look at Mary today as we think about that as the Holy Spirit's revealed that to us uh, uh, through that section in Luke, plus some other passages we'll go to as well. First thing i want to pick up there is Mary's uh, picture here in Luke, and look look at her faith, look at her faith. Before I go any further though, I do want to say we're we're not holding Mary up on a pedestal like I know the Roman Catholic Church uh, can do. We're not asking people to pray to Mary, Uh, that's not going to happen. Um, That's what they believe, that somehow if you can pray to Mary, that she'll twist Jesus' arm and um, give you what you want. Uh, We're not talking about Mary in any way at all like that today. Mary's no different to us as as, uh, we think about her. She's a broken person, a sinner in need of repentance. She needs forgiveness. She needs the grace of God in her life to be made right before him. But we can see Mary and her faith working though by God's grace working through her. It's quite quite probable as we think of Mary even in this passage here that she was probably at the age of around 14 to 20 years old. She could have been as young as 14. It wasn't unheard of uh, for ladies or young girls, teenagers, to be married off at that age at that particular time. So I'm thinking it's probably 14 to 20 years old when the angel Gabriel came to her. He came to announce that she would be pregnant by supernatural means and her child would be the son of God. Mary wasn't married at this stage. She was betrothed. You might be thinking, what does that mean? It's like she's engaged to Joseph. Not married, but in the engaged process. She was a virgin and would remain so until Jesus was born. Now, understandably, initially, Mary would have been sort of quite shocked when the angel came, and who wouldn't be if an angel come to you and delivers a message like that? She's gone into shock mode. And uh, she sort of gathers her thoughts. But then we, then we see some responses of Mary here, even from this episode uh, taking place here in verse 38 of chapter 1, Mary says, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And then we see the angel departs from her. Then in verse 45, she's uh, Elizabeth says about Mary. And blessed is she, Mary, who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Mary's submitting herself to God. Mary's actually giving herself To God without any fanfare and just entrusting herself to God's purposes and God's plan for her life. Mary, who had kept herself sexually pure from all relations, now would simply accept God's purposes for her at this time and this supernatural pregnancy that she is in. Mary believed that the God of Israel, she believed in his promises for the Messiah to come. Mary knew what was happening to her was impossible in the natural. But she entrusted herself and she put her faith in God who was her God at that time. Mary also knew there was nothing good about her in that sense. She knew she needed a saviour and she put her trust in God as her saviour. So Mary's exercising or showing us a faith even in these early stages here as these things are happening in her life. And it's important to see that as we think about Mary's life, we find it's it's. Foundations or her faith is is in the foundation of, is in the God who's redeemed her and the God who saved her. By nothing that she has done, it's purely in the foundations of the God who's rescued her and the God who saved her. She's believed in God and now entrusts herself to Him as she shows us uh, this faith she's putting in Him. We follow this out now, and we see Mary work her faith out this faith now that she's putting in God, we now see her work it out through the life as a mother. Mary's no different for us. She's experienced life in many, many different forms, a mixture of of, uh, painful brokenness and also moments of joy and delight. It's a mixture of what everything looks like at times, isn't it? Challenge and difficulty, but also moments of delight and joy. And through all this pain and challenge, uh, Mary's faith is being worked out for God's glory. Firstly, she would have faced this. She would have faced shame and stigma that would have come from being pregnant outside of marriage. You could imagine the rumours that were flying around at that particular time. It was not a good thing to happen back then. And uh, the rumours could have been, did you hear about Mary? Did you hear about Mary? And nobody knows who the father is. It's terrible, isn't it? You could imagine the rumour just flying around the community where she was. Secondly, imagine the things that Mary heard about Jesus after he was born. Mary heard these types of things. She heard that Jesus was the Lord's Messiah, Verse uh, chapter 2, verse 16, 19 of Luke. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child that Mary had just uh, given birth to. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them but Mary treasured up all these things pondering them in her heart she heard this as well from uh, Simeon uh, the priest only just a few maybe days later and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother behold this child this child that has just been born to Mary is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and a sign and for a sign that is opposed And get this, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, Mary, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. There were going to be painful times ahead for Mary. That's been prophetically given to her at this time. A sword will pierce through your own soul as well, Mary. I'm sure Mary went through major times of confusion with Jesus as well. as She worked out her faith here. John chapter 2, 1 to 5, we see that, the uh, first miracle that Jesus does by turning the water into wine and he responds to his mother at this time in this particular way in verses 4 and 5. And Jesus said to her, Woman, so he's talking to his mother, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Perhaps Mary would have thought, What's going on here? Now that comment's not quite as harsh as it may appear or as hard as it may appear, but still I think there would be an element of confusion there As Mary's thinking through that. Also, in Matthew chapter 12, we see another experience in Mary's life here as Jesus is addressing his hearers and his mother and family turn up to see him. And this is what happens. In verse 46, while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother, Mary, and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Hey, your mum and family's out there. Jesus says, Who is my mother? And who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, "Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my mother and my sister, and uh, is my brother and sister and mother. Brother and mother is pretty close there. Or again, in John seven, Jesus is challenged by his brothers, and it says this: John chapter seven, verse three to six. So his brother said to him, "Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples may also see the works you are doing." For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. Probably a bit of confusion in the family there because his brothers don't even believe in him at this point. You can imagine the talk back at the family home. Again, in Mark chapter 3, we see some more confusion. Jesus' family thought he was going mad. He says this in verse 20 to 21. Then he went home and the crowd gathered again so that so that they could not even eat. When his family heard it, they went out to seize him for they were saying he's out of his mind. Again, there's confusion here. I can imagine challenges for Mary in many, many respects. That's only the few recorded things we have there. The whole that would bring this confusion about her son. Probably also, there's a really good chance that Mary did this as a single mum for a good deal of her life. Uh, Joseph's never mentioned again beyond the birth narrative or the birth story, where there are instances of the family mentioned. It's often Mary or the families we've just seen. And in Hebrew writing or Greek writing, it would be the right thing to do is to mention the father's name first and then the rest of the family. That's how they did it back then. So we can glean from that thinking, okay, obviously Joseph is not on the scene. Quite probably he's died. So she's doing this as a solo mum, working through the pain also of losing her husband and working at her faith as a mother. Jesus Also, it wasn't the flavour of the month with the local Jews and the local synagogue, which was massive in the life of the community of the Jews. Everything revolved somewhat around the local synagogue, and that actually was where the community grew out of. I can imagine that Mary also would have copped her fair share of abuse from the leaders of the community and the leaders of the synagogue. Things like, Mary, can you please talk to that son of yours? Can you please talk some sense into him and pull him into line? He's disturbing and upsetting everybody. Can you please, Mary, just talk to that son of yours and get him to stop disturbing us with all of his teaching? She would have copped all of that. And perhaps there might have been some doubt in Mary's life at times as well as she's going through that. Her faith in God had to work out through all of those challenges. But that's not all Mary faced. That's not all she experienced. She experienced more. She also had to experience the death of her son. She stood there that day as her innocent son was slaughtered like a lamb being butchered for Passover, nailed to a cross who was completely innocent. She had to go through that horrific time. She stood there and looked at her son, groaning and suffering on that cross, when there was no guilt in him whatsoever. Mary had to experience that pain. Her faith had to work through those circumstances. When all seemed lost, she needed to trust in God. As everything appeared outwardly hopeless in Mary's life, she needed to trust in the God that she believed in. See, Mary's just like us in many cases. Things haven't changed over time. Mothers today go through similar trials and similar difficulties. But God wonderfully, gloriously, marvelously provided for Mary to be able to carry herself faithfully throughout all that stress-filled life and challenging times. And I think what we see there is a picture of Mary humbly submitted to God, humbly trusting in God whatever His plan would be for her life and whatever the purposes were that needed to be worked out. She remained faithful, And humble before her God, and even right from the outset, we see this picture of the knowledge that Mary had of God in that song. That if you uh, read through before in that passage, there you'll see it's in different sort of writing. Verses forty-six to fifty-two in fifty-five. Sorry, it's Mary's Magnificat. It's it's a song of praise. It's a song of exclamation. It's a song of worship. In verse forty-seven in that song. She says this, God is my saviour. She recognised that. In verse 48 of that song, she recognised that God looks to the humble. God looks to the humble. In verses 49 and 50, she sees that God is mighty and holy and filled with mercy. She's extolled, she's praising God with these things. Verses 51 and 52, she sees again how God scatters the proud And brings down the mighty, but he lifts up the humble of heart. And in verses 54 and 55, Mary again also sees that God fulfills his promises. He remembers his mercy and his promises to Abraham and his people. Mary remained faithful and humble in working out her faith before God as a mother. Mary's faith moves on, though, as well. Ultimately, we see Mary's faith to come a very clear perspective after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We find her faith was actually in him. Acts chapter one gives us this indication. Verse 13 and 14 says this, and when they entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Elpheus, and Simon the zealot and Judas, the son of James, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers this is 40 days after the resurrection of Christ and the disciples are gathering in the upper room as they've been told to go gather there and we find Mary here with all the family gathered with the disciples think about this She's coming now to pray to Jesus Christ through him to the Father. So the son that she's given birth to is now the son that she's worshipping as God. I think the lights are probably switching on now more and more in a very clear way. The whole family have joined with the disciples. We read a verse a little while ago, they didn't believe in him. But now it's becoming a much clearer perspective here for Mary and we're finding their faith is in their Mary's son or their brother. would have been an amazing time for them to go through all that sort of transformation and change. Thinking only just a few weeks ago, things were a bit confusing for them, but now it's all actually becoming crystal clear. We've discovered and we know who this Jesus Christ is. He's God in the flesh. And undoubtedly, Mary's faith is growing day by day as she experiences these things and sees, as it were, God's plan being worked out. God see. Uh, Mary sees that Jesus is God's purposes now being fulfilled right before her very eyes. There's a picture of Mary. There's a picture of Mary in her life and what we can see just from little snapshots um, through the scriptures, through the Bible. How do we think about Mary and how does that fit for us today as we think of mothers, as we reflect on mothers today today? Uh, in this world. Remember again what God asked... Of, is that dropping in and out, Caleb? It is a bit, yeah. You might be trying to go back and keep an eye on that, mate. Um, what did God ask of Mary to do as a mother? What did God ask of Mary to do as a mother? God simply asked Mary to bear his child and to raise him as a follower of God. Here's your calling, Mary... Here is your calling to bear this child and to raise him as a follower of God. And how does Mary respond to that call? It says in verse 38 there, And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. We see there just a simple, humble submission to God's purposes. Mary wasn't trying to be. If we looked at it today, one of those yummy mummies trying to keep up with the world and keep up with what the world was offering. Mary could see right through all of that deception. Mary glorified God by simply obeying Him and following her God-given role of being a mother to raise Jesus as a God follower in all that she could do at that time. Now mothering comes to us With two sides of the coin, sure, there is much delight, there's much joy as we see our kids grow, as we see them do things, as they develop and they learn, it brings us great joy, and we love our children. But the other side of the coin has its challenges, has its challenges. It's hard for a mother to raise children to be followers of Jesus. It's not easy. It can seem like a real slog at times to keep inputting into my child that Jesus Christ is my treasure. It's difficult. It's hard. It can seem futile at times. It can seem like it's a waste of time. I don't feel like I'm getting anywhere. This stubborn, selfish child slash teenager just continually pushes me to the edge. Continually pushes me right to the very edge of my self-control. It sometimes feels like when I'm a mother, it's one step forward and it's one step backwards. You feel like you're getting nowhere at times. You think to myself, do I have to approach this same situation again and have this same conversation again? Didn't I just have this conversation two days ago with my son or my daughter? And have I got to go through this all again and talk about the same things all over again? That's how it can be sometimes. Sometimes we feel like giving up as mothers. Sometimes actually we actually want to walk away. We don't want to do this anymore. Or sometimes it can be like this. Well, if I can't do my kids well, I'll throw myself into something else. If I can't do that, well, I'll just go and do something else. I oh, know I'll, I'll become a gym junkie and I'll get my body back into shape again. That can happen. Or I'll take up a new hobby and I'll just throw myself into this new hobby because I'm just sort of can't do this mothering. It happens like that sometimes. Those thoughts come in. The difficulty of mothering comes in other ways as well. Often, uh, through the pressures of life, we're trying to combine mothering with maintaining a house and all that's involved in that, and also perhaps working a day job summer as well. And when we combine all those pressures and all those challenges we feel overwhelmed. We just feel stretched to the limit. The pressure seems overbearing as I try and maintain a job with my full-time role already of being a mother. It's like I've got nothing left to give at times. I'm at breaking point. I feel like I'm just spent because I'm trying to combine all these things into one role. How can I do all those things with all that pressure on and at the same time keep teaching my children to treasure christ this pressure is too much for me sometimes in those particular uh, uh, times we're really doing to sit back and take stock of where life is at and perhaps to make some really important choices make some hard choices maybe i'm just doing too much and i need to step back and this is the great thing about the gospel It actually gives the mother the ability to have that discussion with her husband at the time and say, hey, I think I need to step back from some things because we need to realise that the souls of our children are at risk if I try and keep combining all these things and the pressure is going to make me burst eventually. Some mothers also go through the pain of unsaved sons or daughters. Really challenging stuff. They've poured their life into a son or daughter only to now see them living a godless life cut off from God. It's devastating for them. Devastating. They've invested, they've invested, they've invested and this child becomes a teenager at some point point. says, it's not for me. It's not for me. I'm out. We see them living a life of self-destruction in many ways and it breaks us up as we think about our unsaved sons or daughters. Or we see them rejecting the goodness of God, our son or our daughter. And we understand that their eternity hangs in the balance. It's heaven or it's hell. And there are our own flesh and blood that are right before us. It's devastating. It's hard. It tears our hearts apart from the inside. I've had many conversations with people who have unsaved sons or daughters. And it's tearing them up. It's the pressure, it's the pain that they feel being a mother at that particular time. And they feel hopeless in that situation as they watch their son or their daughter walk away from Jesus again. Mothers feel pressures in another way as well. They feel guilt-ridden as they bring their own brokenness into their own motherhood as well. They can see their own inadequacies, as it were, working out through their children. It becomes like looking into a mirror. And they see their own sins working out through their kids and it's like a reflection of themselves happening all right before their very eyes. We see our teenagers doing the very same sinful, broken things that we did. And this becomes despairing for a mother as she looks on on that. And they don't know where to look for help in those times as well. They, they seem helpless. There's a whole stack of challenges that we can face. Uh, as mothers, as we go through the rigours of life. So I guess the question we ask ourselves is, where do we find the strength and wisdom then to be a mother in that? We have the joys and the delights, but we have these challenges as well. So where are we going to find the strength and the wisdom to be a mother that God's called us to be? Well, I think we've got to find exactly what Mary found and what she looked to. We need to, to, to discover what Mary discovered. God revealed to Mary that Jesus Christ, her son, the God-man, actually was her saviour, and that Jesus brought the forgiveness of all of her sins to her by his death on the cross. God revealed this to Mary, that Jesus was her saviour, and that Jesus not only brings forgiveness, which is a mighty miracle that he does do for us, but that Jesus also brings restoration and power for us, for Mary, to carry out her role of mothering as now an act of worship, before the God who's created her and the God who's forgiven her in Christ. And this is precisely what the gospel does do for us. This is what the gospel does. The gospel forgives, but the gospel also restores and gives us power to live the life that God has called us to, to carry out our God-given roles. The gospel speaks trust in God as our Savior, but then the gospel in its power speaks to us to be able to walk in humility and to carry out my role as a mother dependent on God. I'm not looking to compare myself with the mother up the road or down the street or across the room or wherever. I'm looking to see where God's placed on me and the responsibility he's given to me and the power that he now gives to me to carry out my role. And through God's spirit working in us, gives that power to humbly model Christ to my family as a mother. How does it look? So when I get angry and I snap at my kids, which happens. If you've been a mother, you've already done that. If you're a father, you've done it as well. The gospel then enables me to say sorry and model repentance to my kids. It's important that they see that. That we're not perfect. We're nowhere near perfect. They can see that Jesus has shaped my own heart to own up to my own sins and I can model repentance. Or in my teenagers who are with me, maybe witness Harsh or cruel things being said to me as a mother. What can I do? I can model love and forgiveness towards those who would do that wrong towards me. I don't have to settle the score. Just as Jesus has forgiven me, so can I forgive others and model that before my kids and they can see that. There's endless opportunities for a mother to allow the gospel to work in their heart, to model this despite all these challenges we may face. And they're all great opportunities for our kids to see how Jesus is the ruler of my heart and shapes my heart in that situation. One thing I want to show us here as we think about in closing uh, what God has gloriously and beautifully done for Mary here in her life, even in this passage. There's this one thing that brought Mary great encouragement and hope. And I believe it's this. Mary had a godly friend in Elizabeth. Uh, We won't turn to it now, but you can go back to it later. Verses 39 to 45, we read before the visit of Mary with Elizabeth. I can imagine this visit here that God's brought about, uh, this friendship of Mary and Elizabeth being vibrant and joyful, as they discuss, probably at that particular time, as women do when they're pregnant, babies. Particularly both, because they were pregnant in miraculous ways. It would have been a great friendship. But I can also imagine the conversation between Mary and Elizabeth at this time, which would have been about the glory of God and the plans of the coming Messiah as well, as they reflected on that, devout followers of God. Mary and Elizabeth would have had gospel conversations together as well, knowing that the Messiah was coming. They would have spoken about Mary's predicament, experiencing life together. God had given Mary a great friend uh, to in Elizabeth, a provision of God. So I guess I think about that and I ask this question, mums, mothers, who are you doing community with today? Who are you connecting with? Who are you getting in discussions with and seeing the gospel shape your lives for his glory? Who's your friend? Who's your connection point that God's brought into your life that you're able to get together with and receive strength from, receive encouragement from, and even receive the hard conversations from as well as we call each other to account in a loving way? Who is your gospel friend? Who is the community that God has brought to your life to be able to do that? That's a really important question to ask. Because this is one of the great areas of grace that God provides in our lives, is gospel friend relationships. God gives us community to be strengthened in and comforted in. And God gives us a community where we can go and comfort others and strengthen others through what He's doing in our life. It's a great provision here that God has brought into Mary's life. And I know in my own wife's life, Laurel's life, it's been a tremendous source of strength for her and her mothering to get together with other people and actually talk about it. Don't think you've got it all together. Have that discussion. Talk about the fears and the failures of life. Be open, be vulnerable with somebody that you can trust and see God work through that relationship in a great way to see Uh, Mothers be able to raise their children in a God honoring and a God glorifying way. So, mums, mothers, who's your friend? Who is your gospel connection that you are making time to be with to talk about life and share those challenges with each other? Who is that person? Or are you trying to do it on your own? God provides for us gospel friends, to do community with, to share that journey with. Let me just close with this before uh, Simon comes to lead us around the table. Here's the greatest thing, mums, that you'll ever, ever hear when your mothering is over. It will be over at some point down the track. Here's the greatest thing you'll ever hear. Matthew twenty-five twenty-one says this. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. You could paraphrase that and say this. Well done, good and faithful mum. Enter into the joy of your master. Well done, good and faithful mum. Enter into the joy of your master. Keep that hope in your heart. Because when I read something like that, it fills my heart with strength and with hope. Let me pray. God, I thank you today that we can we can come together and we can think about mothers, we can think about the life of Mary, we can think about uh, how her life is impacted from many, many different angles. And we see how God you sustained her, you kept her uh, all that time. That Lord, you enabled her to remain faithful before you and to walk humbly before you. God, we see today that we know that she has entered into that rest as a good and faithful servant. Lord, today for the mothers who are just finding that struggle of the daily grind, overbearing at times. Uh, God, today we pray that they will draw their strength from you. That they will see, God, that the uh, mighty role that you've given to them, they have much influence over their children, Lord, will be something they'll be able to hang on to. Those precious times of sharing Christ with their children. Lord, for those mums who are trying to combine so many things together. Full-time job and full-time mothering, God, I pray, give them the godly wisdom and the godly courage to sit down and reassess their lives. And perhaps, Lord, have the courage to make those hard decisions, I pray. Today, Lord, help us as a body of believers to come together around our mothers, to love them, support them, and encourage them in this really challenging role. Help mums today, Lord, to find a good gospel friend that they can share the journey with someone who will pray with them, someone who will love them, someone who will actually ask the hard questions as well about life, knowing it's all for our eternal good. God, today we pray that we would have mothers here at Exchange Church that would really reflect the light of the glory of Christ in that glorious role of fulfilling uh, our tasks as a mother. Help us to love them, support them, and come alongside them, we pray. God, we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.